From the University of the West of Scotland, this is the Research Matters Podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Research Matters Podcast by the University of the West of Scotland. I'm Dr. Katrina Fallow, lecturer in performance from the School of Business and Creative Industries. And today I'm joined by Professor Murray Leith from the School of Education and Social Sciences. Murray's research explores a range of areas related to Scottish and UK politics, especially around nationalism, national identity, belonging, migration and diaspora. It's that final area that we'll be focusing on today. Welcome, Murray. Hello, thank you very much. Uh, It's a real pleasure to have you with us. I'm so looking forward to the conversation. Why do you think there is still such a persistent fascination with Scotland globally? That's always been a question that fascinated me. I mean, I... I'm always very open about this when I talk to people. I was born in Scotland, but I wasn't raised here. When I was four years old, my family moved to England. uh, And I I spent much of my youth in England. And then I I travelled throughout the world before ending up back in Scotland, somewhat surprisingly for myself, in 2000. And I've been here now 23 years and of course, studying Scottish politics, why would you not be here? I get to live the experiment, you know, they established a parliament and I'm like, that's it, I am going home. Absolutely, uh, be where the action is. Well, ex- exactly. So it's nice to be able to actually see an ongoing devolutionary idea, you know, being born on a daily basis. And people around the world are watching this. I get contacts from Australia, Canada, Brazil, South Korea, all wanting to know about what's happening in Scotland. And and when we think of interest in Scotland, we think of Canada, America, you know, the United States, Australia, New Zealand. And that's where you get a lot of interest from. But at the same time, there are people in the most amazing places. I went to Paris to do some research (laughs) Well, it's about eight, nine years ago now. And there were four Scottish-themed pubs in Paris. <laughs> and I thought, well, you you know, you, you go around the world, you run into Irish-themed pubs. But you don't run into a lot of Scottish-themed pubs. But the other thing, as we all know, and as a lot of Scottish people know, is you travel the world and people ask you where you're from and you say Scotland, and you get greeted with a big smile and often arms thrown wide akimbo and people want to hug you. And I think the interest in Scotland comes from a combination of factors. One is we have been exporting whiskey, which always makes people very friendly. Um, But we've also been exporting people for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, obviously, there are some very difficult and challenging periods of our own history that we've come to understand better in more recent times. And we've come to understand and challenge some of the underlying myths. But one of those myth still holds true and that is a lot of people left Scotland and went to other parts of the world to find something better or to find something that they didn't have here maybe some land to call them own or a future without having to necessarily answer to someone they didn't want to answer to so that's why I think we've left a legacy around the world and That's why we use the term diaspora. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Not everybody knows that term. And, of course, it's a term that that it comes down to from the Greeks, you know, scattering of seed. But, yeah, I think one of the reasons people are interested in Scotland is we have a long history. We have a long history of exporting people and ideas and culture. So when we talk about the Scottish diaspora, really we're talking about that spread of people, perhaps initially born in Scotland, who then go on to live in other places. And from what you're describing 
perhaps unexpected places all around the world. Yes, yes. I mean, absolutely. We we don't even know how big the diaspora is. This right. Is I was that was going to be my next question. Is you know. Give me some figures. What are we talking here? Well, I'm going to give you a figure that's oft quoted, and I know because I've actually quoted it on occasion before, and it's the Scottish diaspora is between 40 and 80 million people worldwide. Wow. Now, that's a fairly broad estimate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, 40, and then we double the figure to 80 right. immediately. But if you think about it, the number of people living in Scotland today is 5.5 million. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that 5.5 million is dwarfed by the diaspora. But of course, when we say the diaspora, we have to remember we're talking about people. And some of those people are like I was, and members of my family still are, being a good Scottish family. I'm the only one of my generation here in Scotland. You know, I I have a brother that lives in England, but he considers himself Scottish. Uh, He has children, and they consider themselves half Scottish. And they consider themselves part of the Scottish diaspora. But you've also got people whose parents, who were born to parents, whose parents had left Scotland. Right, absolutely. But they still feel that connection. They still feel that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. So you can find people who may not necessarily have Scottish last names anymore, but they think of themselves as having a connection to and a love of Scotland. And I suppose that brings us on to the Outlander effect. So I guess, first of all, could you explain for those listeners who might not be familiar with the popular book series and by now the even more popular television series, what that refers to? And what I'd really like to know, particularly as someone whose work is around arts and culture and how that shapes identity, why is something like the Outlander effect a useful shorthand for conceptualising how certain people feel connected to Scotland? Well, obviously, as you see, Outlander is a series of books by an author called Dino Gabaldon and turned into a very popular television series, which is still running. In it, the main character of the book and the main characters, it's your classic uh, time travel. Someone falls through a, a, an enchanted uh, circle of stones. Which... <laughs> Just your classic fell through yeah, an enchanted yeah, well, stone. You know. We've all been there. Hey, every time I go near a, a, a circle of stones in Scotland, I'm always a little suspicious. <laughs> I would I would not do well without 20th century medicine. What can I say? <laughs> but no, all joking aside, uh, the character falls through time and ends up back in Scotland in the early 1700s. And then it, it, the, the books and the television series follow the adventures of her and then her children in that two both timelines, both timelines, backwards and forwards. But of course, what they've done is they've exposed a whole generation of people who might not have been aware of Scottish history and Scottish ideas and Scottish culture both historical and slightly more contemporary. And what that has done is it's brought people to this the romantic ideas around Scotland and historical Scotland and Scottishness. But they've then begun to examine Scotland in its contemporary setting. Mm-hmm. We still speak Gaelic. We still teach it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are schools teaching it in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. You know, people come from around the world to study it and speak it. You can do it on Duolingo. A friend of mine who lives in Hawaii is is regularly engaged on Duolingo, learning to speak Scottish Gaelic. And I I'm terrible with languages, so I've never bothered. But they feel this strong connection mm-hmm. to Scotland, and you know they've sent pictures of them having a Highland Games in Hawaii on the island of Oahu. <laughs> um, but then again, that's not unsurprising. So the Outlander effect is the effect that the, the, the books and the, the associated television series have had 
on bringing people to an understanding of Scottishness mm-hmm. may not necessarily be a contemporary understanding, but they get to that point by reading more, by visiting Scotland. Mm-hmm. They come and see where the series is filmed and where it's talked about in the books. They go up to Curis on the coast and they go and look at the Meerkat Cross and they're in Scotland. So by exposure to the books and the television, they're then exposed mm-hmm. to contemporary Scotland. And Scotland is connected to a whole new generation of mm-hmm. people. Absolutely. And I guess we could think of Outlander as the kind of most recent example in an ongoing set of fairly major cultural exports that depict Scottishness, right? So oh. Highlander films. Um, we have our own Scottish Disney princess now in Brave, um, you know, Braveheart. Yes. I suppose Outlander, as both a book series and a television series, is the most long-running, I suppose, example of a kind of creative depiction of of Scottishness. Absolutely. We can go all the way back back to my parents' generation, and there was Brigadoon, (laughs) which which was funny because in Brigadoon, they didn't go through time. The village emerged once every hundred years up in the mists of the highlands. But it was the same idea, the same concept of, of, of a sense of Scottishness frozen in time. And brought mm-hmm. forward into the contemporary setting. But yes, we've had before, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Braveheart, the movie, you know, had a significant impact. At the end of the day, what these things have done is once again reinforce certain themes and ideas. And when I use the term myths, I don't mean things that are made up. I mean legends that mm-hmm. exist in a semi-understood fashion. The myths of Scotland always wanting its freedom. Scotland, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people being strong and independent, whether we're talking about a Disney princess or an actual historical character, mm-hmm. William Wallace, that mm-hmm. existed. So I guess the way we've been talking about these um, cultural exports, if you like, film, television, uh, novels, is in quite an implicitly positive way, right? That they can help sustain very meaningful, very positive connections for people who uh, perhaps live out with Scotland currently. I wonder, however, are there potential downsides, I suppose, perhaps particularly for those Scots living in Scotland now, to these kinds of social and cultural phenomenon? Do they risk obscuring... Uh, understandings of what of what it is to be Scottish? The, the risk obscuring what it is to be Scottish in a contemporary sense, there's no doubt about that. There's a romanticism, there's an historical element, you know, this idea that we're all Highlanders, when of course that was very much minority of the Scottish population at key points in time, and it certainly wasn't the ruling clique of Scottish society at any point in time. So, yes, it does. But at the same time, it brings to Scotland. It it adds to Scotland. Let's compare and contrast two specific aspects of contemporary Scotland. One of those very unfortunate in that we continue to have one of the highest, the highest figure for drug deaths in Europe. We're working on it. We're working on it as a society. We're taking some interesting and significant steps. I have colleagues who study this subject. But at the same time, let's compare and contrast that with one of the facts that Scotland continues to see rising income from film and television and cultural events taking place in Scotland. We can always talk about major events. We've had Commonwealth Games. We've had... World Bagpipe Championships, we've had World Cycling Championships, but all sorts of major events in Scotland. And they're drawn to Scotland because of the positive image that it has throughout the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And these bring in money, these bring in tourism, which is a significant aspect of the Scottish economy. And that helps fund 
social and political activity in Scotland. Mm -hmm. So we are aware at the same time, of course, that Scotland's come a long way in the last few decades. I mean, I've been studying devolution, of course, but we must remember that the regeneration of certain areas like Glasgow has been very, very significant. And we've managed to see areas that were left alone, left behind, to really advance economically and hopefully socially and culturally as well. So I think the diaspora are keen to be connected to Scotland. They're keen to be understood as Scottish. They want to be Scottish. They want to be in Scotland sometimes just to visit, but sometimes to live on a permanent basis. And they want to know more about everyday Scotland. And this is where I should point out that you know, we've, we've had a devolved government now for, you know, 20, coming up on a quarter century. And that government has recently taken steps to reach out to the Scottish diaspora with something they called the Scottish Connections Framework. And the Scottish Connections Framework was recently discussed in the Scottish Parliament, and it was supported by people across the chamber. Mm -hmm. It was supported by members of all the major political parties in the Scottish Parliament. And a, it's a very rare thing. A very imagine. rare thing. It's it's rare in politics you can get people to agree on the weather outside, <laughs> let alone an actual policy output. But that's because Scotland is aware of the existence of, and more importantly, the positive strength and feeling of the diaspora towards Scotland. Now, it's not just about what the diaspora can do for Scotland. It's very much, what can we do for the diaspora? You know, they want that connection. Think about this. We're sitting in a university, in the universities of Scotland, there are thousands and thousands of international students that come mm -hmm. through our universities every year. And they study for a year or longer in some cases. And then they go back out in the world. Well, they may not have a familial connection to Scotland, but they take away a very positive educational experience. Mm -hmm. And that's something they treasure. And they continue to want to have that connection to Scotland. And we call those the affinity diaspora or the alumni diaspora. And that's a key element of the diaspora policy, for example. I wonder then, could you maybe unpack a little bit more for us these different strands of what that diaspora looks like? So for example, the, the term alumni diaspora is something I'm I'm unfamiliar with, and I and I should say for those listening uh, who've detected a sort of North American twang to my own voice that I myself am part of the Scottish diaspora with Scottish parents, but I grew up primarily abroad before coming back to live in Scotland. Um, so I'm really curious to know what are the different kinds of classification you use in thinking through members of the diaspora. Yeah, I, there is a lot of discussion about who makes up the diaspora and what it is. I mean, obviously, we're both representatives of the diaspora. And by the way, we are in another part of the diaspora we call the returned diaspora. Okay. So, makes sense. <laughs> we have returned. Both of us, I was born here, my family left, and I came back. Your family left. You were born elsewhere, but you came back. So, we have the alumni diaspora. The return diaspora, of course, but we're back in Scotland. So the alumni are part of the wider affinity diaspora. And they are people who may not necessarily have a direct, as I say, family connection or any historical connection. But they are people who have a strong sense of connection to Scottishness for one reason or another. Could be they work for a Scottish company. Could be they had Scottish friends. It could be they're from a small town in France where the mayor is Scottish and he has a burn supper every January and they have <laughs> New Year's Eve parties. Now, you may smile when I say that, but that's an actual example of people that I met when I was doing research on the Scottish diaspora. You have the, the lived diaspora, which speaks for itself. You have the ancestral diaspora, 
which is technically what yourself was. And, and say you're born in Scotland, you travel abroad, you have children, they have children, they have children. None of those people are ever born in Scotland, but they feel Scottish. They feel a connection mm -hmm. to Scotland. They're the ancestral diaspora. And we know for a fact there are millions and millions of those living in places like Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the United States, all over the African continent, all over the Indian continent, because Scots have, as I said, we've exported mm. lots and lots of people over yeah, the centuries. Absolutely. And I suppose coming back to the question around what that means for Scotland now, what the presence of the diaspora is, um, I'm curious to know how some of your work intersects with things like industry innovation and infrastructure or decent work and economic growth, both of which we know are important, UN Sustainable Development Goals. Do you see the diaspora playing a, a meaningful role in that for Scotland? They already do. Interestingly enough, um, I, one of my roles at the university is I'm the director of the Centre for uh, Migration, Diaspora, Citizenship and Identity. And our our centre looks at just at those issues, not just for Scotland, of course. We obviously look at the ideas of migration and diaspora as a worldwide aspect, but we're in Scotland. And it's a wonderful case study, an example to the world. We have people, we have organization companies that want to set up in Scotland, that want to work in Scotland, because they think of Scottish society and culture as being really positive. And we're, we're going to have uh, a talk very soon from people who are going to tell us about companies that have come back, companies that have reached out from other parts of the world. We have certain benefits in Scotland. For instance, the space industry is growing. We've got the ability to connect with space from around the air and Presswick areas. Okay, and they represent a wonderful launch, literally launch opportunity into space. But these are all aspects of it. I mean, You've also got aspects of cultural heritage. There's a group in Sweden that help pay for the upkeep of their ancestral castle. And they don't need to do that. Many of these people don't speak particularly strong English. But they come and they work on the castle and they raise funds for the castle because it's a strong sense of who they are. Mm -hmm. And they feel from their community back in Sweden, they feel a strong connection to Scotland. And that's just a couple of examples. I know other examples of people who are looking to move to Scotland and part of the Scottish Connections framework that uh, the Scottish government has recently set up is there's something called the Talent Attraction Migration Service, mm -hmm. whose job it will be to help and encourage people who are thinking about moving to Scotland to do just that. Because obviously, we spoke about the population of Scotland being five and a half million. Well, it wouldn't be five and a half million without migration. The only reason the Scottish population has grown in the last two decades has been migrants coming to live in Scotland. And the, you, you get a lot of people moving in from other parts of the United Kingdom. You get a lot of people moving in from Europe. You get a lot of people moving in from wider parts of the world. And they want to come to Scotland. They like the life here. They like the pace of life here. Sometimes not so strong on the weather at certain points <laughs> of the year, but they like the culture. And more importantly, they like the structure and the of society we're welcoming we open our arms we open our our hearts if you will i know that sounds corny but it's true people will come and they will tell you i wasn't born here i didn't grow up here but i feel i am scottish and the people i live with say i am scottish mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of course that is a tremendously meaningful way to articulate one's sense of identity well, Murray, thank you so much for your time. And from one member of the Scottish diaspora to another, thank you so much for such a rich and inspiring discussion. My pleasure.